Welcome back, everyone, to Drunk Bible Study Bonus Edition. Wow, that was a doozy. Um, We have a lot of stuff coming at you today. I'm going to do a quick overview of the beginning parts of Ezekiel 16. Jason is going to talk to you about some controversy and some eagles. And then Dedeker is going to finish us off with some salted babies. Mm. (laughs) All righty. No, I'm kidding. I don't need meat. Um, Anyways, here we go. Not even babies. Not even baby meat. (laughs) Oh, yuck. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Anyways, gross. So the thing about Ezekiel 16 is it really took us on a journey. It was, um, as Dedeker likes to say, like these object lessons, but it, the object lesson was Israel and Jerusalem and, you know, it, the Israelites themselves, I guess. And God was really angry. And of course, he had to do it in this very, shitty way about women and it was not cool. But I'm going to leave, you know, all of the stuff about shaming women to the side. And we're just going to sort of talk about the beginning of this whole situation here in Ezekiel 16. First of all, fun fact, this is from EnduringWord.com, which is where I got all of this. This is the longest chapter in Ezekiel. Oh, wow. So that's kind of fun. Congratulations. We made it. Yeah, We did it. Indeed. Crested the hill. Yes. So 60 verses or 63, I think it was. That's as as many as we're going to get in this book. Um, Also, many rabbis talked about this. They said, a very extraordinary chapter. This is um, a specific rabbi. The 16th of Ezekiel, a minister could scarcely read it in public. He certainly would not like to explain its metaphors to a general audience. Oh, really interesting. Yeah. And said, yeah, other people. Yes. uh, Exactly. Yeah. So various people were like, this chapter is not to be read nor translated in public. And yeah, I mean, yikes. Except for we (laughs) totally did that. Whoops. (laughs) Yeah, quite. So, okay, let's, let's get into this a little bit. Yeah, so... Amorite and Hittite, they were general names for the people of Canaan who occupied the land before Abraham. And so the most powerful of all the nations was Canaan, and they represented all. So essentially, it's saying that the term for Canaanite was a byword for moral decadence. That's interesting. Okay, so like that was the association. Mm, Okay. Yes, And also your mother, a Hittite. So it says that sometimes the ill nature of a father is corrected in the child by the sweetness of the mother. But you Jews were not so happy. Your mother was as bad every whit as your father. So I guess they didn't like the Hittites. I don't know. Okay, I guess just clarifying that both your mother and father were of some people that we associate with not goodness somehow. Yes. And so and moving on to this like vivid description of the birth of Israel, it's essentially saying that like there was no one to care for you at your birth. Israel was hated from birth. And basically, if not for the covenant of God, you would have totally perished. You would have mm-hmm. just gone right. by the wayside. Right. So it does say here, cutting the cord, washing, rubbing down with salt, which we'll get more into later, and clothing the newborn were all customary legal acts of legitimation. That's really interesting. Mm. And so in the neglect and abandonment of the infant in the open field, the parent legally relinquishes all rights and responsibilities for the child. What an option to take. I know, right? 
Yeah, and and essentially it says, I mean, so the thrown out into the open field line was this is an allusion to the custom of some heathen and barbarous nations who expose these children in the open fields to be devoured by wild bees. Are you sure? Are you sure it was only the heathen nations that did that? I know, right? Like, isn't that basically a lot of people back then? I would just be really surprised. I I don't recall any instructions in Leviticus to set up a very robust adoption program. That's true. You're absolutely right. For unwanted babies. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, let's see. Yeah, it says that Israel was not amazing or holy. They were weak, poor, struggling, and near death. But God passed by and took notice So when all their circumstances and all the other nations said die to Israel, God said live. That's really interesting. So that's kind of what he was getting at, right? Is just being like, yeah, it's sort of like a different version of the whole, aren't I the one who brought you out of Egypt? Kind of thing of like, you were nothing without me kind of message, right? Yeah, and and they talk about that like you grew mature and became very beautiful. So essentially under God's care, Israel became this larger, stronger, more mature nation. Um, And this is interesting and kind of weird. Uh, According to Bloch, which is one of the people who is doing all of this interpretation, your hair grew. And I I don't remember this. Maybe this is the NIV specific. This was right before the breasts growing. So we kind of got distracted. (laughs) So the hair growing means pubic hair, apparently. Uh, I know. uh, Yeah. Boy. Yeah. yeah, so with the passing of the age of innocence and the arrival of sexual maturity, nakedness assumes moral overtones. So the earlier nakedness had made the foundling vulnerable to the elements and marauding animals. Now she stands exposed to dangers of a different sort. <laughs> okay, bro. Yeah, so it, basically she's just this beautiful young woman. And then essentially, you know, you're in love and you're covering your nakedness and you swore an oath and you entered into this covenant, all of those things, and you became mine. So it is, it is so weird. It is interesting. Like, I can't imagine this, like, you know, guy finding a young baby and nurse, you know, like raising it or whatever. And then all of a sudden, like, deciding, okay, I'm going to marry it. It's really kind of just very strange. It's pretty disturbing. I mean, when you put it that way. No, but really, like, that's exactly what this is saying. So, yeah, and they're just saying, you know, I washed you in water, I clothed you. And, oh, also, interesting, some translations say badger skin. Oh, instead of a seal skin? Oh, instead of seal skin. Huh. Yeah, well, they say I, he clothed them in fine clothes and sandals of badger skin. <laughs> like, what? What is that? Oh, That's okay. sandals. Um, and then the cover you with silk. So the word for silk in verse 10 is a Hebrew word which does not occur elsewhere. And it means the clothing was very costly, which makes sense. Yeah. No. Okay. And yeah, so, so the... The point comes across, I guess, of silk being a really expensive, fancy yes. fabric. Yeah. And so some some places it's badger skin, some places it's seal skin or porpoise skin or leather. But yeah, Dedeker, I think you said this in the the episode, the likeliest candidate is the dugong. Really? A seal-like animal of the order of Cy- Cyremia? Ceremia? So like a, a little manatee. 
Yeah, so its skin is used by the Bedouin for making sandals. So they also said that it had to be suitable for shoes and then large enough for one of these big pelts to cover the ark. They talk about that in here and exactly what you... Oh, they make the connection. Okay, that's good. Yes. Yeah. Exactly, exactly what you were talking about. So basically, yeah, it's setting everyone up, you know, for saying that Israel became this like really amazing thing and then eventually becomes this harlot, which, you know what? You can read more in the endearingword.com if you want to. I'm not going to continue on from there, but there were a couple interesting tidbits in there that I I didn't, you know, make those connections before. But here they are from people who do this for a living. Amazing. Yeah. So so that's actually a decent segue into okay. some of the stuff that I found looking up the book of Ezekiel and some of the stuff specifically in chapter 16. Basically. Part of what I found is that this is, by many people, considered to be the worst book of the Bible for women. Oh, jeez. In terms of like the most misogynistic. Great. The worst. Because essentially, kind of spelling out that it's not only the the slut shaming that we're used to, that old friend, but (laughs) on top of that, it's also kind of this added shaming for being even empowered at all or sort of trying to be empowered Mm. about your sexuality. Yeah. And one point that was brought up that I couldn't really find a lot of verification of this, but was essentially saying, and and maybe this is why Ezekiel, the misogynist, might have gotten so upset about this, is that supposedly women in Babylon compared to women in Jerusalem had more autonomy, more power than Mm -hmm. Jerusalem women did. We can't have that. Still, not as much as men, Mm. but more. And so maybe that's part of what was motivating this, like, I'm very threatened by women having any autonomy, so I'm going to really rail against this and really lean super hard into, like, every single metaphor I can think of that puts women down. Being babies, being virgins, being whores, like, literally everything I can come up with. I'm going to put it all in one chapter and do that. So... From some of the accounts I was reading, it's basically like Ezekiel is the worst in terms of Jeez. language about women and treatment of women and, and well, stuff like that. Well, Ezekiel, we were having a fun time with you up until this point. Yeah. But if if our bar for Ezekiel is being interesting, oh, oh, I think it still yes, succeeds. through the roof. But <laughs> sure. not good. Through the <laughs> yeah. roof. Not good. Yeah. So something actually that came up in this is that there was some controversy about the book of Ezekiel even getting included in the Bible at all. Oh, I mean, that we're talking sense considering like all of the stuff that we just how went through. Absolutely wild it is also. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so so back in 2nd century CE or AD, however you want to call it, which is the time of the Mishnah, is like when a lot of those rabbinical writings and stuff were happening. This is when this debate was raging about does Ezekiel get to be included or not? Mm. And there was one particular rabbi who kind of said about like, I'm going to make it so that I can somehow reconcile the shit that's in Ezekiel with everything else so that we can keep him. Okay. Boy, oh boy. And... Supposedly, some people say that without his efforts, the book of Ezekiel would have never made it, huh. essentially. Huh. Okay, so we have this wow. guy to thank. All right. But here's what's funny, though. 
they were not troubled by this uh, misogyny. This was not the problem. Uh, well, of course. Obviously. What was the problem? The problem is going to come up later oh. is one problem that he mentions. We have something to look forward to. This specifically, it's like he gets the certain numbers of animals that are sacrificed during certain types of ceremonies wrong. What? And they were uh, trying to <laughs> reconcile. Of it. course. Like, maybe he didn't know what he was talking about. Of course. So that's that's one possibility. Um, and then the other one is that specifically the opening chapters, the one that's the vision of God and the cherubim and the wheels and all of that stuff, essentially was something that the rabbis at the time deemed as important, but they were too dangerous for normal, untrained people to read. And oh, so okay. they sort of deemed that this should only be studied by the learned. Uh, so there's definitely a lot of controversy there. And it kind of goes like with what you were saying, Emily, about that statement of like, a pastor couldn't read this or, no, or a rabbi wouldn't want to translate this or whatever. Yeah. It sounds like in general, the history of Ezekiel has been at one point was stated by rabbis, I guess I couldn't really find a good source on this, but basically that this book should not be read by under anyone under the age of 30. 30? Or uh, by any women. Or by women? Or by any women. <laughs> no women should okay. read it and no men under 30 should read it was decreed uh, at some point, supposedly. I haven't found wow, a source. Wow, what gatekeeping, <laughs> what credentials. Seriously, right. women yeah. should read it. They should know like where this freaking patriarchy comes from. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is not the only source of the patriarchy, but... I know it's not, but it's a big one. Yeah. It's something. Goodness but anyway, gracious. controversial book. For um, sure. Yeah, goodness. Well, let's end with a palate cleanser of some nice salted caramel babies. Oh mm, delicious. This is a little dessert Ew. here. Ugh. <laughs> okay, give it to us. No, I found some really interesting stuff. So I learned that the world over, people love rubbing stuff on babies. Really? Okay. Yes, they love it. So of course, mostly I was focused on this salt tradition, but I also found different cultures that use acorn oil or henna huh. in other cultures. Okay, like yeah, anointing so kind of? Kind of anointing, kind of rubbing, kind of massaging, sometimes just sprinkling, sometimes literally lathering your baby all over in some of this stuff. Ew. So, I have to know more. Is it like disinfectant? What's going on here? Okay, many different purposes. So of course, the first place I ended up was the hermeneutics stack exchange. And on a post there, someone quoted from Galen, who is, you know, historical physician. He was a Greek physician, you know, one of those. Okay. One of those guys that uh, kind of helped. Right, like leeches and astrology and stuff. Yeah, you know, I guess okay. setting up modern medicine okay. or something like that. Um, okay. So this is a quote from one of his books. So quote, the newborn infant then free from defect in his entire constitution should first be powdered moderately with salt and wrapped in swaddling clothes in order that his skin may be made thicker and firmer Ew. than the parts oh. within. <laughs> or, hold on. You're literally, like, tenderizing <laughs> the baby. Kind of the opposite, actually. They, they yeah. weren't tenderizing. They wanted to toughen him uh, up. Like, thickening. Yeah. Dry, dry up this baby. Ew. For, he goes on to explain why. For during pregnancy, everything was equally soft, since nothing of a harder nature touched it from without, and no cold air came into contact with it, whereby the skin would be contacted and thickened, and would become harder and denser than it was before, and then the other parts of the body, 
But when the baby is born, it is necessarily going to come in contact with cold and heat and with many bodies harder than itself. Therefore, it is appropriate that his natural covering should be best prepared by us to exposure. Wow. So there's there's this long, I guess I could chalk it up to essentially a wives' tale that we rub our babies in salt. It's going to harden them up. Harden up. Toughen that skin so that your baby doesn't just melt. Yeah, doesn't just melt when it's exposed to body heat. So, so there's that. Of course, there's a lot of theories around, you know, protecting it from putrefaction. You know, because you think about like we did use salt to preserve things, right? Right. We knew that that there was like a little bit of maybe an antibacterial property to it. Yeah. And so, in some cultures, it's like gargling with salt water to help kill bacteria in your throat, you're gargling yes. your baby in salt water to yes. get rid of any bacteria. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Now, in some cultures, this exists to today, even in modern really? day. And in particular, in Turkey, in rural Turkey, this still is a thing. So hmm. huh. I found this article that was about specifically, um, you know, Turkish folklore around this. Um, and so I'm going to read this quote from this article. Immediately after birth, the baby is salted to prevent a bad smell, to prevent sweating and rashes, what? to ensure a nice, smooth, puffy body, and to ward off arrogance. Arrogance? Specifically. <laughs> okay, I like that last one at the end yes. there. <laughs> like, come on, baby. Don't get too full of yourself. Don't get too... Yeah, yeah you're puffy now. <laughs> Don't get nuts. Wow. Salt is also believed to protect newborns from the evil eye. Big thing in Turkish culture. Mm-hmm. Although there are cultural differences, salting may be performed on the third, fourth, seventh, twentieth, and fortieth days after birth. It may be performed by washing the newborn baby's body with fine salt alone or salty water. Honey and sugar may also be added to salt to be applied in certain parts of the body. There was also, um, gosh, somewhere I also found somebody's recipe for salting babies that basically involved like honey and, and hyssop and lavender and thyme and like just like a nice marinade. Ew. To put on your baby and then wash it off afterwards. You're putting your marinade in the fridge for 20 <laughs> minutes and like marinating Gosh. it. Yeah. Now, in this same article, I found um, someone's personal account, uh, someone who they themselves were salted as a newborn. And of course, didn't personal know this. Personal account. And, well, they didn't know this until they were a little bit older okay. and they overheard their mom okay. talking about it. Mm-hmm. And so they asked their mom and then this is what their mom said. And this is, this is uh, like Turkish Anatolia. That their mom said, yeah, after the fall of your umbilical cord, your grandmother sent a message to a leading family member for your salting. We said prayers to the rock salt that we had prepared previously. Oh. Then we thoroughly scrubbed your whole body, especially your neck, armpit, perineum, and palms with salt so that you would develop, grow up fast. You would not smell bad or sweat when your babyish smell wore off. Your breath and body would not smell bad and your wounds would heal quickly. Wow. People need to sweat. Your body remained salty until I breastfed you and you fell asleep. And after you woke up, we washed you again with pure and clean water. So yeah, it seems like in the Turkish tradition, it's a lot about preventing you from having a smelly, sweaty kid in general. Now, did the writer of this article say that they are... They're like miraculously not sweaty ever. <laughs> they smell great all the time. Well, no, it's Did funny they... because this person sharing their personal story is they didn't know about them being salted as a baby until their mo- they heard their mom bragging to her friends about how her kid never sweats because as soon as he was born, we salted wow. the baby. <laughs> um, wow. I see. I feel like I got to go complain to my parents now about like, how come I wasn't salted? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I found another blog that dives into this. 
uh, who cites basically like a medical text written in 100 AD by Sornus of Ephesus, who was a Greek obstetrician. And he said he recommends sprinkling babies with salt, specifically to cut through any placental remains and any birth residue that's on the infant's skin. And he believed Mm. that salt mixed with honey, olive oil, barley juice, fenugreek, or mallow should be massaged into the baby's skin and then washed away with warm water. Like an exfoliating wash. Again, nice marinade. Now, here's the thing. Salting your baby is actually not that good for it. Yeah, in reality. No, oh, no. No shit. Okay. <laughs> um, Don't do this at home. Unfortunately, yeah. It's, they're very small, tender yeah, creatures, so, especially when they come right out. So this was enough of a problem in Jordan specifically. So a lot of babies were admitted to Jordan Hospital with symptoms of what's known as hypernatremia, which is just like too much salt in the system. And mm-hmm. four doctors that were in the neonatal ICU published a report titled Salting newborns, colon, pickling them or killing them, a practice that should be stopped. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Yikes. Yeah. So they're like, this is not good. And so they interviewed a bunch of mothers. I'm going to just read this quote. In the course of interviewing 112 mothers, the doctors learned the following facts. 48 mothers had been salted themselves as newborns. 37 mothers had salted their other babies at least once. 56 mothers thought it was advantageous to salt babies. 18 mothers knew there were dangers to salting babies. Five mothers knew there were some harmful consequences but salted their babies anyway. And six mothers salted their babies just because it was traditional to do so. A significant number of mothers continued the practice because it was passed on from their mothers and grandmothers. But in the report, they did go on to say that these mothers that they interviewed, there was no agreement on how do we salt the baby. Right, like what's the methodology? How much do we apply? How long do we leave it on? Do we wash it off? Do we swallow it with the salt still on its skin? How many days? What do we do if the baby starts to look sick? You know, and unfortunately, there were some cases of babies getting really, really, really badly sick from being salted. Wow. So. Gosh. But then in this article that I read that was interviewing like the, the Anatolian, you know, tradition that, you know, most of the village elders and like people who still practice this obviously never noticed any kind of health issues or never witnessed any side effects. Maybe they just had better techniques and mixtures. So it could yeah. be could be a better technique. It could be, yeah, we salted you and then immediately washed you off instead of hmm. keeping it on you or, or things like that. So, right. Yeah. Wow. So I'm willing to bet, I mean, if it was a tradition that was handed down and was common at this time, clearly if it was actually making people like actually making babies really sick right away, it wouldn't continue. So it must have been safe enough mm-hmm. right. that people did it. Yeah. But uh, but then also, to be fair, you probably have a very high infant mortality rate at this time. That's true. And so... Not necessarily the salt. And I mean, also, if you're thinking a time where you don't have antibacterial soap. It's true. And stuff like and that. And salt's it's maybe like, the best you got. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Salt might actually do more good than harm if that's the case, right? Yes. If you don't have other ways of fighting infection. Yes. Wow. Huh. Wow. Anyway, these doctors say don't salt your baby anymore. Yeah, okay. You heard it here first. Please do not salt your baby. <laughs> I feel like we need a little bum, 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 bum. Yeah. The more you know. The more you know. Episode. <laughs> exactly. As delicious as it might be. Don't do don't it. Don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. <gasps> Wow. Well, we learned a lot on this episode. That was quite fascinating. Um, This was definitely one of our longer bonus episodes, but we hope that y'all learned something too. And we will see you next week for more Drunk Bible Study and more Ezekiel.